Hector and Paris lead the rampaging Trojans on a counteroffensive against the Achaeans. Athena goes to intervene, but Apollo convinces her to halt the war in the heat of combat now, to presumably save the Trojans from Athena's wrath. To do this, Athena inspires Hellenus, one of the fifty sons of Priam, that the gods have commanded that Hector challenge the bravest Achaean to single combat. Hector makes the challenge, and it should be noted that the victor can retain the war gear of the deceased, but the body of the loser will be given back to his people for full burial rites. Homer says a hushed silence went through the Achaeans' ranks, ashamed to refuse, afraid to take his challenge. Menelaus stands to take the challenge, but his brother Agamemnon talks him down. One may once again ponder whether Agamemnon cares for his brother or cares that Menelaus' death might demotivate the Achaeans and end the Trojan War. Nestor, my boy, your boy, the old Achaean war chief, gives an oration on how if he was younger, he would best Hector and taunts his spineless comrades. Shocker. Nine Achaeans respond to the challenge and enter a lottery to see who fate selects. Giant Ajax is selected, and his heart is filled with joy. Ajax and Hector duel, and Ajax arguably has the better of Hector, who must be assisted by Apollo. But the duel ends at a draw due to nightfall. Both sides then separately come to the conclusion that the next day should have a break in the fighting in order that the dead may be given their ritual burials. The parties make an oath to this effect and bury their dead. Welcome to Ascend, the Great Books podcast with Deacon Harrison Garlic and Adam Minahan. Getting into book seven. We just finished book six, obviously, because that is in uh, sequential order, which is... how numbers work. Fitting. It's very (laughs) fitting. Uh, Join us for more insights. (laughs) Uh, Spoiler alert. Next week, we're going to go through book eight. (laughs) Keep you on your toes. (laughs) Oh, uh, yeah, so uh, this this book we're talking about, Ajax Duels Hector. Um, one that is interesting, I, there's a lot of fun, like, I, I enjoyed this book, although I don't like the, like, I don't like the ending, How and we can get into that, but I did enjoy this book, as I was going through some of my notes uh, that I wrote in book seven, I realized, I, I remembered, oh yeah, I, I actually kind of like this part, I like that part, so last week I think that I gave it a harsh judgment up front. Uh, I was saying like I didn't like it. I do I, actually like some of this chapter. I just don't like how it ends. Yeah, I think I think uh, if we look at last the last book, right? So since we've worked out our numbers <laughs> in book six, like we this had is a, the things that I bring to the table. This yeah, is this you is what I contribute. Are to the invaluable yeah. to the process. Yeah. So if you look at book six, we discussed it having a theme of the family, mm-hmm. right? We kind of waxed long about Bellerophon and this intergenerational guest friendship that we saw. Uh, we also then see Hector, right, having this kind of very warm embrace of his family and understanding and parsing out his piety uh, to his family, to the polis, to the gods. If that, if, if we could discern a theme there, you know, that I think that is certainly familial, 
I think this one starts to introduce us very heavily to the theme of burying the dead and the burial rites. This is this is going to become uh, a key point to the entire kind of crux zenith of of the Iliad, right? Mm-hmm. The poem. So I really need to understand in this one, like how each side comes to understand that they need to bury the dead. Why is this so important? Why does Hector incorporate this? Like, like why when they're fighting, do they actually make these like, you know, provisions like, Hey, like if this happens, if this happens, like you get the war gear, but like my, my people get my body back. Right. Right. Because again, I think that, um, (coughs) excuse me, allergies are still going on. So I apologize. Um, but they will be going on for the next three months. So yeah, brace well, yourself. Last week, I think some people got wasted based off of the drinking, the drinking game, game yeah. of drinking every time I yeah. cough. So well, I apologize. That's I, that's my fault because I made the game up and I did not mean to lure people into You could play the with them. Sin. No, I don't. I'll be laying on this table by the end of it. So <laughs> we're going to move on from that image. So I think, yeah, so let's just, let's just track. Let's observe like, what is the role of burying the dead? Yeah, yeah, I think that there's a, a great respect for for the dead. That in, last week, or last week when I was talking about, you know, there's a, this war etiquette uh, that's still there. There's this uh, mm-hmm. understanding of even though you are a, an enemy, I still have respect for you. Right. Uh, and I don't know if that carries on today or to, to today or not, but it, it it's very apparent that that they still have respect even for their enemies. Right. Okay, so let's just look at a few themes. I think overall, I think it's a very direct book, right? It's it's mainly mainly taken up by the duel and the setting up of the duel uh, between Ajax and Hector. So as we mentioned in the the opening of the narrative, um, you get Athena coming down, and Athena and Apollo kind of come to this conclusion or this this agreement, if you will, of like, hey, let's let's just have them have a duel, and that's basically going to spend the rest of the day, right? And so we'll get through this day of warfare. I would I would point out that after uh, just just shy actually of line forty, right? Apollo actually talks about the fixed doom of Troy, right? It's just interesting again that Apollo is running interference for Troy, and he but he understands that there's been this decree, right? He understands that that Troy is probably doomed, but he's still trying to do things to help Troy and the Trojans as the gods and the humans all kind of position themselves around what we might call fate, what we might call the will of Zeus, and this kind of notion that fate is fixed, yet malleable. Right. Right. So <clears throat> Apollo's doing his role. They come to agreement. We talked about that this is how we get the uh, battle. Hector's going to call someone out. And so one other thing to note, as Hector's kind of, you know, he's I think he's already stepped into no man's land, and he's giving his speech... Um, you know, about this this duel that he wants to have. It's interesting, on line 80, he says, <coughs> excuse me, the oaths are sworn truce. Zeus, the son of Kronos, throned in the clouds, has brought them all to nothing. And all the father decrees is death for both sides at once. Until you, Argive, seize the well-built towers of Troy, or you yourselves are crushed against your ships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... it's I took that as kind of like a, a, a like almost like a blaming of Zeus here. Well, it's interesting, yeah, that that Zeus broke the truce, right? right? So again, um, that's actually correct, if you remember. So Zeus did give permission, right? Mm-hmm. And then was it our boy Pandarus, if I remember correctly? Yeah, right. Who breaks the truce? It's a Trojan, and so they swore these oaths to Zeus, and now they're they're kind of damned for it. The man who just has terrible luck. 
Hmm. I'd like to know like the history behind the scenes of Pen- Pendaris because like that kid, he was always probably like the last one to get picked in the, in, for the football team. <laughs> like he, like that guy, he, he thinks like he's the best, and then he never gets to go to prom. Yeah, he had a, like, because I'm sure they had prom back then, right? I think so. Yeah. We're, that's in book eight. Yeah. So again, just kind of getting into this, you know, it's funny because at one hand you could say, "Oh, look, he's blaming Zeus for this," mm-hmm. but on the other hand, like we know that Zeus actually gave permission for the truce to be broken. Mm-hmm. So again, like wh- how far do we make distinctions and how much daylight do we have between the actions of men and the will of Zeus? So then we get into, as we kind of opened uh, talking about, notice uh, the caveats he gives or the provisions, right? The conditions upon the duel. Yeah, the terms of the duel. Right. Mm-hmm. Or basically that, I mean, what I want to point out here is that, yes, he's going to get his war gear, etc., but the body has to go back to his people and he has, and he gives him full rights. Right, this is this is deeply important, right, to the Greeks. Um, you know, and, and Troy shares uh, a Greek culture, what we would later call a Hellenized culture. Right, Helen ends up being like the face of this entire culture. Right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> that you know, part of this uh, of burying the dead, right, is part of your duty towards the dead, is giving them their proper burial rites, right, which then. Um, you know, allow them, you know, just in a simplified fashion, simplified fashion, allow them to go into the afterlife, right, uh, in the best possible way, right, uh, with their honor, with their glory, recognized by their comrades, you know, as they go down um, into Hades. And so, th- I mean, this is an incredibly important part, and this this forms a lot of the crux of the plot of the mm-hmm. book, right? Mm-hmm. So we see this, uh, once again, Menelaus pops up, we're getting this dynamic again. Menelaus pops up. Agamemnon says, "Please sit down." Yeah, hold on. Walk me through this because I don't. I didn't understand this. Yeah, sure. Um, on what is this like one o? I don't know seven six something like that. You know, it says a hushed silence went through all the Achaeans' ranks, ashamed to re- to refuse, afraid to take his challenge. So Hector challenges the army, mm-hmm. and then like this hushed silence comes over. Like no one. Like oh, I wish. I had the right. courage to so do it, but they didn't want to Yeah, do so they're it. ashamed to refuse. Right. Right, so they know they have to take this. Someone needs to take it. Right. So, but, but then what happens? You got nine guys who, like, <laughs> like stand up, right. you know, and, and get chosen for the lot. So, like, what, a, like, I didn't, under, I didn't understand that. Like, how did we go from uh, a hushed silence because no one has courage and, and they're ashamed that mm-hmm. they, they're not doing it to all of a sudden, like, you get nine guys that get to go into the lot, you know, that that are anxious and the one who gets chosen is filled with joy that he's the one chosen. Like how does, like well, I think we, I think we can probably blame your boy Nestor. Right. So Menelaus stands up. This is, this is what I was hoping. For. Right. I Menelaus, just, Spartan King, right. It's, it's fitting, right. For the Spartan to stand up. Agamemnon tells him to sit back down again, probably because if he dies, this is going to be bad. Right. So demotivate, um, the archives. Then, uh, Nestor stands up and he gives this wonderful speech, which is very much grandpa like right. of the Argives speech, right? Basically saying, listen, I'm old, so I can't do it. But if I was younger, I would defeat Hector in a heartbeat. And by the way, you all are all spineless. Back in 83, I could have thrown those footballs over the mountains. Could right. you have put me in? We would have won state. And he, um, it works, right? He did it. It works, right? So he... Uh, down at 190, right? Nine men jumped to their feet, mm-hmm. right? Uh, including Agamemnon, actually, right. which is interesting. Now, the one... <coughs> I noted on there, I gave him props. 
like because I'm I'm pretty critical of Agamemnon because I think right. he's super selfish and like uh, I don't I, I don't like him just in in general. But credit to where credits due, like it seemed like even if it was not um, like even selfish motives, he did as the king step up. He did, yeah. We can. I'm just trying to like. We might give him that. Give him a little bit of credit, like. The one I won't give credit to, or at least the one, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be challenged on this. The one that actually kind of shocked me is that why, why, why is Diomedes needing so much, like, encouragement here? Like, you've been blessed by Athena, and you've yeah. been slaughtering everybody. Right. Like, why are you afraid of and Hector? You're the one who's, everybody who's forgotten about Achilles. Yeah. Because of you. That's a good point, right? Like, yeah, that was in the last book, right, that they... They said that they now fe- the Trojans said that they fear Diomedes more than they fear Achilles. That's a great insight. So that was actually the one thing I noted. <coughs> excuse me. Was why did Diomedes not step up? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's still blessed by Athena. We saw him in the last book, uh, still being cognizant of not fighting the gods. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was just something that that I that I thought like why why is he having to go through this process? Mm-hmm. So they do the lottery. Uh, Ajax wins. You're correct. Like it's, and then even even in that, right? He wins, and all of a sudden he has a joy in his heart, like friends. And he's like pumped. He's like all yeah, high fiving. And uh, so apparently, um, I think you actually say high fiving in here. Yeah, that's the ancient Greek greeting. I uh, think uh, is high fiving. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he has this thing where he starts. He starts to pray. He has. It's interesting. He has him to pray in silence, and he says, "Wait, never mind. Pray out loud." Right. Um, you know. I, I kind of took that as at first, don't let them hear you praying because that might be a sign of weakness, weakness or like I were fear, but also wait. Well, by the gods, or by the way, the gods ordain everything, so never mind. Just just pray out loud, right? Right. So Ajax, um, you know, Ajax has his <coughs> excuse me, uh, his battle here with Hector. Hector has like a an interesting. So of course they have to have a dialogue, right? So around two seventy or so, a little after that. Right in the middle, it's probably 275 or so. Hector has, I just thought this was an interesting kind of phrase, right? They're going back and forth. And Hector says, War, I know it well, the butchery of men. Well, I know, shift to the left, shift to the right. My tough tan shield, that's what the real drill. Defensive fighting means to me. I know it all, how to charge in the rush of plunging horses. I know how to stand and fight to the finish. Twist and lunge in the war god's deadly dance. Yeah, so to me, this is like a speech uh, from a guy who's uh, uh, worried. He's you think nervous. so? Yeah, I mean, because we kind of skipped that, but around you know, 248 or so, Hector himself, his heart pounding against his ribs. Mm-hmm. Like, once he sees Ajax there, he's you can tell like his adrenaline's starting to pump, right? And so he, it seems like that that speech is... Uh, trying to convince himself, trying to com- maybe even convince the people around him, like, have no fear. Like, I know how war works. It's like, yeah, if you know how war works, you don't need, like, your reputation speaks for itself. You don't need to convince yourself. That's how I took it, at least the first the first read through. No, I, I think I think there's certainly a value there. Um, we should keep in mind that Ajax, if you remember the, the opening, mm-hmm. right, of the Iliad, Ajax is listed as the second greatest warrior of the Argives, right? right. Of the Achaeans. 
uh, behind Achilles. Mm-hmm. Diomedes is kind of shot up there because he's blessed by Athena. We might still be tracking that. Like, is that still enduring? You know, is, maybe is that one reason he didn't jump forward? Is that is that not still active? Mm-hmm. Um, but Ajax is is up there. I mean, he, he's a stud. I mean, he, he he's a, a true warrior, and obviously because Hector, who is also a true warrior, like has a good reputation. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we see that even actually in this book, I believe. Yeah, so back even on lines, you know, 128, 129, around there, it's talking about Hector's reputation, a a good soldier, a soldier who has pride, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, so there's no doubt that they're both good warriors, but I think one of them is afraid, and one of them, their heart is filled with joy. No, it's a good insight. I I like kind of the setup of these duels, where they pace off, and then they throw the spear, and then the other one gets to throw the spear, yeah. and then basically you run at each other, and it's just, you know, it's all on. Tell me you don't feel alive <clears throat> unless you're running at a guy knowing that. Right. That is- Ajax's shield is famous. We have a lot of famous shields um, in the Iliad. We have Athena's shield. We're going to get later to Achilles' shield. Ajax's shield is just this towering monster of a shield, right? Seven, Seven layered. Yeah. Seven layered buckler. It's like a seven layered dip, just massive. That's exactly what I thought of. That's exactly that's a good that's a good Tex Mex Oklahoma reference right there. That old Ajax, you know, seven layer seven dip. layer dip shield. <laughs> just can't go through. I'm just like you know really gifting all of my talents. In the, no, it's good. Podcast. It's good every once in a while to remind everyone that we're from Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. That's good. I like it. So they get into a fight here. I mean, my read, <clears throat> we can, you know, argue. My read here is that, you know, Ajax is somewhat famous throughout the Iliad, if memory serves, that he really fights, what would I say, um, in a natural way, without divine inspiration. He just seems to be this, like, very good fighter. He's always in the thick of things. Like, we're going to kind of see him at one time, like, say, like, the last man standing holding down a line. Mm. He seems largely to do it by himself. Mm. And unless I missed it somewhere, he's not blessed by a god in this process. But in the midst of the fighting, uh, Apollo actually has to save Hector, right? Hector right. actually gets pulled up by Apollo. I mean, how many times is, are the Trojans going to get bailed out by the gods here? Well, this is this. I mean, especially even the family, like right. Priam's family. Like, how many times are they going to get bailed out? Well, and remember, Hector, the last book said that he knows that no one can take him before his fate. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to line 60, when um, Hellenus, that's the prophet, the seer, seer, right, tells Hector that, hey, you need to do this duel, it, he tells him, it's not the hour for you to meet your doom. Not yet. Right. Right. <laughs> I heard the voice of the gods who live forever. Yeah, because they bail him out. So actually, to your point earlier, it, maybe, I don't know, I don't know, is Hector being somewhat faithless here? to have his heart beating against his ribs when he sees Ajax, when the gods have already told him, like, you're not going to die. Right. Right. So is that actually a lack of uh, faith or piety on his part? I think that's that's a good conversation, probably. Well, also, how many times do they do God say, like, yeah, this is going to happen, and then that guy gets, you know, this guy's going to be saved, and then this guy gets killed? It could be true. They are fickle gods. Yeah. I don't know. I just felt like, so, yeah, so Hector's knees buckle... Uh, and then Apollo comes in and, and helps him so that the gods interfere. Then your favorite part. Yeah. How's the duel in? Yeah, then it's like, guys, I'm exhausted. Look, <laughs> the sun's going down. 
night is falling. Like we didn't time this duel out very well. We didn't think about daylight savings time. It's the, t- the it's going down. Like let's let's just do it tomorrow. Let's or let, let's do it later. Because they're not even gonna do it tomorrow. They're gonna round up the uh, you know bury the dead and stuff. So I don't know. I just think it's a terrible excuse. I my first thought, and I know this is wrong. So this is Adam being wrong here. This should be good. But I was just like Homer. That's sloppy writing. Mm-hmm. That, that was just my thought process. Is like, uh, you didn't know how to end it. You didn't know how this duel was going to go. So you just had to say the gods intervened, and then you gave a terrible excuse with the knights come. Let's just let's just let's just be done tonight. Mm-hmm. So I know that's wrong. I know that everybody's cringing right now, but I'm, that was just my first thoughts. I found it, it. It's not very satisfying, right? No, it's um, not. No, it's not satisfying at all. What's interesting though is in a part that I. Uh, you know, sometimes um, as you kind of step back into this culture, you know, there are things sometimes that surprise you. The It's an unsatisfying ending, I think, at least particularly on like your first read. What's really notable to me is that it's both sides. I mean, it's not like Hector trying to like pull one here and say, hey, let's, let's quit guys, right? Because I'm getting helped out by a god. It's both sides, like this, the, not Ajax and Hector, but they're, you know, respective men mm-hmm. crying out for a truce and making statements like you're both great fi- fi- fighters, right? Uh, we all know that full well. Night comes at last. Like, like you know, we kind of read this, or at least my first read on this is like, this is lame, mm-hmm. right? It's interesting that like the men seem to watch this and realize that both these men are blessed by the gods or at least favored by the gods. Mm-hmm. One only seems to have divine intervention. Yeah, the one who lived. And like, then there seems to be like this movement to then like extract them both from the duel. Mm-hmm. It, it's an interesting uh, dynamic, I think. Yeah. Maybe not a very satisfying one. So they called the truce. Um, Hector talks about some fatal power, right, that might decide about them later. They do the friendship. So they, there's a exchanging of gifts, right? And then what about okay? So Adam, you we need to talk to our audience a little bit about you and your oh great and your a uh, <laughs> little bit of background. I have so no you, idea what you were about to say. So you, well, last time we talked about that you are an accomplished author. Um, you have this book, Living Beyond Sunday, mm. about the domestic church, right? You have a su- successful podcast, not this one, but another one, oh, yeah. right, that you have, right, the Catholic Man Show. Oh, I thought you were going to say Tulsa Time. Um, oh, you also have Tulsa Time with our bishop, right? You just it, I can't, It's hard to keep up with your accolades. <laughs> um, but one of your other accolades uh, is that you were an accomplished hunter, Mm. Right, so I you, do enjoy hunting. You like deer hunting? Yes. Um, we have this. I also like to go deer hunting. We uh-huh. have this thing where I send you a picture of the buck that I get, mm-hmm. and I'm very proud of it. Mm-hmm. And you tell me that that's that's cute. You have you keep those kind of racks in your garage, <laughs> is what you told me this year, and then sent me the picture of the monster buck that you got. And then I found out later that you got another monster buck with like a bow or something, but you didn't tell me about it because you felt that I would be discouraged from hunting uh, because you were just apparently tripping over monster bucks where you hunt. So I'm not bitter. I'm just mentioning it. Um, <laughs> as I, you know, uh, you, hunting is like, it's feast and famine, man. So there's sometimes that things go well and, and you know, you run into right. bucks and then sometimes you don't, <laughs> you don't run into them for years. So you just take what you can get. But both of us enjoy hunting, right? Yes. Joking aside, we enjoy right, hunting. Right. Right. I think both of us enjoy the same process 
of, you know, I will go out in the morning. Um, this happened perfectly. I got three deer this year, um, two bucks, one rifle, one muzzle loader, and then I got one uh, little yearling doe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the idea of, um, you know, shooting a deer in the morning, field dressing it, bringing it back to the house, butchering it, packing it up in the freezer, right, grinding mm-hmm. meat, right. and it's on the table for, for dinner, dinner. Right. right? I mean, this field to table in a single day and having the skill set to do, I mean, that's because I haven't been hunting for very long. This is like my third year, I think. And that was something like I wanted to do, like for my family, it's something I wanted to show. You know, I've got four little ones. That's one thing I wanted to show my kids. Butchering the deer is actually a familial process, sure. right? Yeah. Like the kids, have, great. the kids have their role and things like this. So with, the, and I know you do similar things. So with your expertise, right, can you explain why both of us, I am sure, put big asterisks and laughed about the fact that they all go back, uh, the archives do, and they've honored, this is like top of page 225, just shy of line 370, they honored giant Telamonian Ajax first and last with the long, savory cuts that line the backbone. Yeah, I loved this. Like, I, I couldn't stop. I actually, very few times do I actually laugh out loud as I am reading a book. Mm-hmm. And this was one of the instances that I did, right? So, the, yeah, so the, uh, the back straps are known as the, kind of the filet mignon of, of a deer, right? So, uh, and they are the, 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 the muscle or the, uh, yeah, the, the meat that goes right along the backbone of, mm-hmm. of a deer that you cut. And so those are known as the kind of the delicacy of, 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 of a deer meat. And so uh, I just loved how he, he talks about the savory cuts that line the backbone. So even I the know. ancients loved the back. They knew the what back the straps cuts were. The good old back. Yeah. I wrote my notes. Nothing has changed. Right. Yeah. Right. Like they're eating these wonderful back straps. Uh, giving it to the, you know, I mean, that's what we eat when we actually, when I, we, um, when I bring the deer home and we butcher it at the house, it's always nice to be butchering the deal in the front yard when like the UPS man comes up. Yeah. Right. Hey, hey yeah. how you doing? I'm like sitting there covered He's in like blood. Weirdo. Yeah. Um, yeah. The back straps are what we have for dinner that night. I mean, They're that delicious. is it. I mean, the yearling dough I got was so, so like tender melt in your mouth back straps. Right. right? So yeah, I, I just thought it was really funny. Actually, I loved, I loved that part. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't help it, but, uh, right, right in there is a note that even mm-hmm. the ancients right. love back straps. So at some point, actually, I think we, I, I would love to have, um, a more in-depth direct conversation on hunting and like I the culture too. of hunting and being in the woods and then the process of being able to take, an animal from field to table. And even fishing. Fishing um, would be another way. Right fishing would be one. good. I'd have to rely on you much more on that conversation. I'm yeah. still well, we can bring my, a my, nascent fisherman. We can bring my uh, son Luke in, into the game and have him actually explain it to us. Is he like a state champion? Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> He's much better fisherman than I am. He's a better fisherman than I am as yeah, well. Yeah. Good. We will have a nine-year-old on the podcast <laughs> soon to explain to us how to fish. Okay. Yeah. So moving on. So the Achaean side narrative here kind of ends with, hey... Um, we need to bury our dead. Maybe mm-hmm. can we ask the Trojans for a truce in the morning to bury the dead? Then it shifts over to the Trojans. So this is around line 400. Uh, I will note that right after that, so like 401, um, Antinor, Antinor, a Trojan, has something to say. And he says, Hear me, Trojans, all our loyal allies. I must speak out what the heart inside me urges. On with it, give Argive Helen and all her treasures 
back to Atreus' sons to take away at last. We broke our sworn truce. We fight as outlaws. So many, I mean, many things about this. One, it's Argive Helen. Right. It is not Helen of Troy. Right. It yeah. is Argive Helen. Give her back. Give her back all her tre- treasures. And notice, um, we broke, <coughs> excuse me, we broke our, our sworn truce. Right, we fight as outlaws. This is the truce. Remember, at the very beginning, when Menelaus and Paris were going to fight, mm-hmm. and so we fight as the outlaws. Right, we're now cursed by Zeus because of this. And compare that to Hector's earlier statement, in which he says Zeus broke the truce. Right, right. Um, and again, at this point in our kind of maturation and understanding Homer, you know, you could, I think, on a surface level, say, look, one's blaming humans, one's blaming the gods. I think by book seven, we're starting to understand that in certain ways they're saying the same thing, mm-hmm. right? So it is probably not a shocker that Paris, right, who you pointed out in the last book, I, I think um, very correctly, right, that his piety, the hierarchy of his piety in his heart is all disordered, mm-hmm. right? He's going to put his relationship with Paris uh, above his own family, mm-hmm. above his own polis, mm-hmm. and then it's a kind of a crapshoot about what we think about with the gods, right? Some he made happy, some he made very angry. Right. But either way, Zeus has pretty much damned to Troy through his actions. So he won't give up the woman, uh, but he'll give up the treasures. So here comes Priam. And again, this is something, who is Priam? He's the king of Troy. Where is he on this? I mean, so he, he, won't, he won't make, I mean, notice he doesn't make Paris give back Helen. He'll offer to give well, back the treasures, right? But he won't make he won't force her force him to give her back. Um, well, in there a uh, back in this time, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong here, but it just seems like that there's a such a loyalty to family name that even to the point of like I will do it do the wrong thing to save my family name. I mean, it could. I think that could be it. I mean, you could have a disordered relationship between a father and son here, right? That he'll support the son even in his error, mm-hmm. right? But the problem here is that you're the king, and as we right. know, broadly speaking, right, like uh, sin, or just broadly speaking, error, uh, is never private, right? Right. It affects the community. And so you would think then the king would have to recorrect in the fact that, like, he supports his son on this, it's threatening uh, Troy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. But he does mention on 430... He speaks of Paris, who caused our long, hard campaign, uh, which is interesting because you remember when he spoke to Helen. Yeah, he was uh, saying like, "It's not your fault." Mm-hmm. On, when he spoke to Helen on the walls, mm-hmm. he said that it was the gods. Mm-hmm. And again, again, as our <coughs> our maturation has happened in understanding the relationship between human action and divine action, you know, are these really competitive? Or are they are they really talking about the same thing? Right. right. So then. Um, we get this wonderful dynamic that we mm-hmm. see a lot where a messenger goes to give something. They some have some hilarious commentary here, right? So he goes back to tell the messenger goes from Priam to the archives to say, hey, we'll give you back all the treasure. And the messenger has like some interesting glosses. Uh, he talks about when he mentions Prince Paris, he says, would to God he would have drowned before that day. Right. That was not in Priam's original statement. <laughs> uh, also, he refers to the lawful wife of Menelaus, right. right? So there's these, you know, commentaries and stuff. Tell me how you really feel. Right. It's interesting then that Diomedes is the one then that stands up and says, we're not touching, uh, you know, no one touched the treasures of Paris, Helen either. 
It's obvious, any fool can see it. Now at last, the neck of Troy's in the noose. Her doom is sealed. Mm-hmm. So this is really interesting that even if they would have offered Helen back, um, it doesn't seem like they would at have least taken Diomedes it. Does, yeah. Right. Yeah, I thought... That, I thought yeah, they, they at least see that there's light at the end of the tunnel of this war, mm-hmm. and it's not the train. It's, you know, they can possibly win this thing. So they reject it, but they do agree to the, <coughs> excuse me, that the next day will be about burying the dead, mm-hmm. right? And so the next day is that. You get weeping warm tears. Because they started fighting too late. It's the <sighs> night. It's the nighttime. You can't fight nighttime. Yeah. So they're fighting, you know, they're, they're weeping warm tears. This is the next morning. They're picking up their dead from the battlefield, but there's this really kind of notable commentary by Poseidon at 520. And he starts to complain. And he's complaining to Father Zeus, who is also his brother. And he says, you know, is there... Um, so this is probably like 515 or so. He says, Father Zeus, is there a man on the whole wide earth who still informs the gods of all his plans, his schemes? Don't you see? Look there. The long-haired Achaeans have flung that rampart up against their ships. Around it, they have dug an enormous deep trench and never offered the gods a hundred splendid bulls. But its fame will spread as far as the light of the dawn. And men will forget those ramparts. I and Apollo reared for Troy in the old days. There's mm. two things happening here. One, we talked about this last time or a few times ago. He's referring back to the myth where he and Apollo had to serve the king of Troy for a year. And one of the things they did is they built the walls, right? So the, will, the walls are, are God-made. Mm-hmm. Um, but notice what's happening. And I did not pick up on this the first time I read it. It wasn't until like the second time. And then I was like, wait, where did these come from? The Argives are being deceitful. So they're burying their dead. And they're supposed to be building funeral pyres. But what are they also building? Yeah, ships. They're building ramparts against their ships. They're building. Oh, again, oh I'm sorry. Yeah, ramparts against their ships. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. building defense structures. Mm-hmm. Ramparts against their ships and an enormous deep trench. So they're actually using this as cover to reinforce their position, right, mm-hmm. uh, on the beach. And Poseidon, for some unknown reason, and maybe, maybe it's just a poetic mechanism to actually point this out, is worried that what they're building there, right, is going to gain more glory than the fact that he and Apollo built the walls of Troy. There's just a kind of comparison between the two. But it's just interesting, right, that they're actually building ramparts. Yeah, I'm sorry, because yeah, it says, what is that on, right before 490, it says, um, they came streaming out of the well-built, uh, well-bent ships, some uh, gathering bodies, some the timber. Right. I mean, uh, I mean, there's a burning process, right? Bar the burial rites is burning the dead, uh, but they're u- certainly using this for for something else. Yeah. We get quickly at the end. We get a um, supply chain, right? Like, mm, how are they yeah. keep getting this going? Notice that um, there's free wine and things like this, but also the Argives have to buy their supplies. So Which is probably why they're <coughs> also wanting some of the loot, the, the war war loot. So this kind of shows you why, on a, a certain level, um, a certain aspect of why the war loot is very important and why they're always trying to loot the dead. So they have something to trade for when the supply ships come in. And then it really ends uh, with a wonderful juxtaposition of prayers to Zeus, right? And while Zeus is actually up uh, plotting fresh disaster for both sides. Right. So anything um, else from... From book seven that we that we missed or that you saw? No, uh, I'm anxious to read, continue reading the book so that way I know 
when else do God intervene? How many more times Paris and Hector are going to be bailed out? Right. And but overall, it. I think the takeaway from this one is the importance of burying the dead. Right. And and that that is a ritual. And, and don't start fights too late. And don't start fights when you all have to you know nightfall hits. Yeah, that's good. Take into consideration daylight savings time. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with the book. <laughs> All right, hey, tune in next week as we, we get into book eight. Deegan, it's always been a pleasure. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Adam.